0: And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disney won't stop! Hope Monex and Chris Honeywell have finished Clone Wars twice and Rebels once. Now they move on to Resistance and beyond. I'm Gene Gene, the MC Machine, and this is J-Guys and Jedi.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hope Screams About Baseball, a podcast 22 years in the making where Hope is here to scream about the fact that her Atlanta Braves are currently in the World Series. And just kidding, because by the time this episode comes out, you're going to know that I'm either going to be really, really happy or terribly destroyed. Because this is actually J Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast talking about all things Star Wars resistance. In this episode, we look back on our third show, the highs, the lows, one last time to tell Brooklyn to get bent. We're wrapping up Star Wars Resistance this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. No one cares. Uh, we're joined by the host of Gold Squadron Gaze, a fellow High Republic lover. And I'm adding this to your intro because it says right in your Twitter bio, ask me about a 17th century Hungarian minstrel. And I'm really curious about what that is. So we're going to circle back to that in a second. Welcome to the show, Charles.
0: Hello, yes. Uh, I'm Charles. I am contractually obligated to mention that I am the co-host of Gold Squadron Gaze uh, with, we'll call him my friend, Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yes, I knew you were going to ask me about the Twitter bio. So it's actually, uh, it's actually 17th century Hungarian mistrial.
1: Oh, mistrial. It's a legal
0: thing. Yeah.
1: Well, just say mistrial. Hope can't read. We've already well, That's well established on this show. I thought it was like minstrel, like, you know, like I'm playing a lute in a court, my court of kings.
0: No, it's so I'm I one of my things besides Star Wars is that I do history. I'm a really big history nerd. Um, and I got extremely mad that a 2013 Tumblr post Misinformed me uh, about a certain famous historical figure, semi-famous historical figure. So I actually uh, I tracked down translations of the Elizabeth Bathory um, witness depositions, documents, some of the translated <laughs> four hundred and fifty witness statements. I have read letters back and forth between the people involved. I have become an expert. To, and specifically the political dealings around this trial that did not happen, because one Tumblr post in 2013 <laughs> made me really annoyed when I found out it had misinformed me.
1: That's brilliant. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> I could totally relate to that, actually. <laughs> I'm actually looking at my stack of like, I had to go on eBay and get uh, like some of these books off of eBay because they're not available anymore. It's one of those, whenever you talk to a historian... You're always gonna get that they have that one thing. That thing that's like that weird niche for them. This is mine, is specifically this woman's trial because it's or the trial that didn't happen, I should say, because it's way more interesting than than pop culture has made it. But I could I could go on that for way too long.
1: That's amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> Cause I saw that when I was writing your intro and I was like, that's huh (laughs) it's specifically (laughs) in
0: there to bait people to ask me about it (laughs) well because i'll say this and and then we will move on it it combines like all of my favorite things because it combines history it combines law it combines hungarian politics in the holy roman empire it combines a really fascinating historical woman um And true crime.
1: That's amazing. I'm so excited that I'm I'm so glad I asked. (laughs) All right. So before we jump into resistance, first of all, if someone has never heard of Gold Squadron Gaze, what is it? So Gold Squadron
0: Gays is a weekly Star Wars podcast. Uh, We bill it in the intro as the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. Uh, I co-host it with Bradley. Uh, We occasionally have guests on. Sometimes we do it by ourselves. But our main shtick is we do episode deep dives. So we do the current content that's coming out. Uh, so it's a very watch-along type show where you can watch an episode and then you can listen to our coverage of it. We just finished filling some time between Bad Batch and the Mandalor, or the Bad Batch and the Book of Boba Fett, I should say, with the Mandalorian. So we just recorded our uh, season two, episode eight recap. Uh, we're also looking at expanding outward a little bit from TV shows we've been dipping our toes into some bonus episodes uh i can't talk too much about it but i will say that you might hear some familiar voices on some upcoming ones i have planned
1: i'm just gonna throw out if you ever want to do a higher public talk i'm here for you yes i will keep that in mind i love it i just i actually just finished recording with Arzu from space waffles um, breaking down the master padawan relationships at the High Republic on Friday, so that should that w- should be out by now, actually. So,
0: yeah, we actually. Uh, so one of the things that I do for the show is uh, we have a TikTok account, and I animate um, clips from our show.
1: I was wondering about that because I was looking at your TikTok and I was like, wow,
0: <laughs> this is. Yes.
1: This is.
0: <laughs> I, I just got an order in of some new different poses. And there's one of Bradley, and he's kind of standing there with his arm elevated with this, like, disturbed, disgusted look on his face (laughs) looking at me. We call it the Charles is talking about the High Republic again face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm always happy because uh, Chris Chris does not dive into the books at all. So I'm like, whenever I get to talk with somebody about the books, I'm just like, let me talk to you about books. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i i'm not gonna say too much um because i i don't want to make promises i can't keep but i may or may not be putting an episode together and i may or may not have specifically picked guests who uh have shows where their co-host doesn't read
1: yeah yeah i you
0: i feel for those people as someone who mercilessly bullies his (laughs) co-host because the joke is bradley is a twink and can't read (laughs) <laughs> that i really do
1: so uh the reason i wanted you to come on to the show for yes. one you've been just so super duper sweet and you know guys commenting and sending us nice messages could get you in the show charles is the perfect example for that um yes. but you have that been... was my cunning plan all along <laughs> it worked you do you got us um no but like Cause when we were going through resistance, um, cause we, we met over bonding over the, the show and like, that's how we started talking. And of course, then we started talking about other things like the higher public after that. And so like, as we were wrapping up resistance, I had already scheduled the guest, and I was like, oh man, I, I really wanted you to be on the show. So I'm so glad that you're here. Um, so first of all, I wanted to just ask you the general question. What do you love about resistance? Because everybody has heard us for the last two seasons talk about it, what, yeah. what we love about the show. So, like, what, what is it about Resistance that you love?
0: Well, the first and most important thing uh, that I love about Resistance is how every time I bring it up, it pisses Bradley off.
1: <laughs> I, you know, you guys are just, like, the parallel dimension of our show. <laughs> Constantly me and Chris.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, no, he, he didn't. We will cover resistance someday on Gold Squadron Gaze. We'll do something about it. Um, he didn't like it very much. I absolutely love it. It's one time a one time a guest asked us a question about resistance, and we had to cut about fifteen minutes of arguing. <laughs> out. No, I when I look at resistance and I look at Star Wars content, and particularly the era that Resistance was coming out. So, the first season came out I think after the Force Awakens did. And the second season came out between Last Jedi and Tross.
1: That is correct. It was so, developed, season two was developed alongside Solo, and it was completed before Tross was even written.
0: Yes, and I think Pablo Hidalgo did say on Twitter recently that part of the reason Resistance ended was because it was apparent that they were not going to get notes from Bad Robot, I think was what he said. Oh, Really? Yeah, I think he said something on Twitter about like somebody asked him about Resistance ending. He said part of the reason that it didn't incorporate either it didn't it ended or because it didn't incorporate the Rise of Skywalker stuff was because it was apparent that they wouldn't get the notes from Bad Robot in time
1: Ooh, that was, that's- integrated in order to
0: integrate it in.
1: That's interesting because I, my my tinfoil hat theory was um, they were a few months away from launching Disney Plus, where Clone Wars was the flagship show. And I thought it was just the death of cable, as we've been, as Chris and I have talked yeah. in depth about on our other podcast, How It Makes Chris Watch Questions. We talked about the death of cable and how it affects shows and stuff.
2: It, it was, said, it was kind going. of hampered because they couldn't. They, they I don't think, you know. Even like, I don't think Bad Robot could have given them notes and time to do anything that would have made any sense because they probably didn't know until like a week before that movie came out exactly what would happen in it. You know, they, I think they had like so many storylines and they were like, okay, we'll edit together right up till the last second. And so then never get anything to work on, you know, work with.
0: But to answer your original question that you asked, <laughs> Looking, I tend to tangent. I do apologize.
1: I, have, Bradley... I, have, I know I know you've listened to our show, so yeah, you know yeah, that we you love yeah, the tangent. You know where
0: you are. Bradley is an editing wizard that he makes me sound intelligible every week.
1: Um but <laughs> if you... show
2: <laughs> Yeah, don't worry. Don't don't worry, we won't we won't do that to you here.
1: Everyone oh, go to our episode for Cass's Curse where Chris and I definitely delved into the dildo wars. <laughs> Jesus. That was such a fucking trip. We lost our damn minds. But, <laughs> but this saying. was
0: this was before The High Republic was coming out. So this was before Star Wars started to really get in and start doing a little of experimentation when it was doing some slightly different things, particularly with the publishing, kind of dipping its toe in with the comics. Some of the stuff that Resistance did thematically and that it did in the way it told its story and the characters it chose to focus on and the characters it chose to not focus on is incredibly unique. It feels very much like a show set in the Star Wars universe that doesn't feel like it has to be, I hate to use the word shackled, but shackled to the quote unquote main plot that it went off and it handled not only a story that was distinct on its own, but it handled a kind of vibe and the kind of environment that it wanted to explore differently than Clone Wars or Rebels or the films or any of that. And that's something that I look at with this show and I'm like, as far as taking a swing, to to use a baseball term, taking a swing here, that wasn't really playing it as safe as people thought it was.
1: I mean, you're not wrong. No, like, not at
0: all. I mean... There's
1: a reason why I constantly describe Resistance as a Star Wars novel on screen. Because it reminds me so much in a lot of ways of a book like Lost Stars or Master and Apprentice, where they just take place about a couple of characters in a pocket of a universe, and it doesn't change canon. And you're right, like... Resistance constantly swings for the fences, and not everything works. But I would rather something try something new and fail than not try at all, which is very much my feelings on Bad Batch, where I feel like Bad Batch is an incredibly safe show.
0: You know, I just uh, th- sorry, go ahead, Chris.
2: <laughs> I just thought about this when you 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 two were talking about this. Is uh, I maybe Resistance was the first TV show that was kind of more like a an action a tv show like something i would have grown up watching in the 80s you know uh uh, it you you wouldn't you could have run resistance you could have changed the names of things and jiggled a few things around in in the character you know the designs of the robots and ships and stuff and had it be named something totally else totally different that didn't take place in the star wars universe it's sort of a a concept that can be like runoff itself and it was the first i think of the star wars tv shows that was sort of like that that wasn't as much as an extension of something cinematic as its own sort of tv thing tv show thing you know it had more you know more it had a, a cast of characters but it had some co- you know comedic characters and Everybody in the ship had their own. It was sort of set up like uh, somewhere between a sitcom and a you know a, a hour long drama show. You know from the just sort of eighties and nineties TV.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: And one thing, one thing though that that I do feel about the show when it comes to you know you mention it necessarily not needing to be a Star Wars show. I'm not going to say I 100% agree with that just because what is important to the Star Wars universe is still baked into the DNA of what Resistance is. Resistance is a show about people struggling against the tightening noose of a fascist occupation. Yeah, particularly in the first season, struggling against people who are manipulative, who are divisive, who are sowing lies, who are trying to take advantage of them. But it's doing it in such a different way than something like Rebels would. I love Rebels, but Rebels is very on the nose with this. You have the Rebels and you have the Empire and the Rebels are fighting the Empire and its lasers and there's lightsabers. Uh, Yoda is there uh, for yep. a minute. This one, there's still the lasers. No lightsabers, though. Nope. I think in the whole series. Nope. Yeah.
2: No Jedi. Lights.
1: As, as you were talking, I kept thinking about the Clone Wars episode Corruption on uh, Mandalore. And I swear Satine and Padme, between the two of them, said the word corruption like 15 mm-hmm. times in a 22-minute episode. And I was like, uh, like we, we joked how it could be a drinking game every time they said corruption in the episode. And you'd be drunk in 22 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, like a lot of the stories in the other ones and, are just so on the nose um, the for- when it comes for- to topics like this.
2: And the Force and Resistance is mentioned... And there's even a couple little instances where the force is happening and stuff, but it's presented in such a way it, as like something that would happen, you know, as somebody would say talking about Christianity or, you know, oh, he's a Sufi or whatever, you know, it's, it's,
1: it's, more it's, less it's, thought, that, it's, it's more or less sought Sisters Bindu than it is Jedi and Sith.
2: Yeah, on? but it's not even that mystical. It's it's like, it's like somebody's like, uh, you know, even the Sith temple, you know, like weird stuff happens in the S- Sith temple, but it's not weird enough that it, the characters aren't just like, you know, maybe I want to look into this, like, force thing because it seems to be a real thing. They just sort of walk away from it like, well, hey, <laughs> that was a spooky old uh, temple there, you know, and there was enough of it that was mechanical to... You know, it's, it's, it, 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 it's almost like the, the, the magical aspect of the force seems to really manifest in the, you know, in the characters who are on that level of the story, except, you know, and, and even, you know, and the same in, uh, Rogue, Rogue One, you know, with, um, and his name's escaping me, uh, cheer it. Cheer it. With with Chirrut, and he's he's got force powers, but it's not like parkouring, and it's not bolts of lightning and stuff. It's it's sort of you know psychic sort of mysticism. It's something like oh, he could be really skilled, or he, you could write it off. To, you know, it's more grounded.
0: Well, he like has that. faith. That's that's his thing. I just I literally just watched that movie two days ago. Uh, so, I was actually paying extra attention to that. Yeah, like he has faith, and the way yes. that he treats it in his character arc in that film is about his conflict with, with the push and pull between him and Baze and how they view their faith in light of what's happening around them. On uh, GSG, we actually talk about, like, when we were dealing with Mandalorian and we were dealing with something that is a reference or like an Easter egg versus something that's just there and emblematic to the universe and the force and resistance, it doesn't take center stage in the way that it does in a lot of other star Wars properties. It is a thing that is there that is acknowledged by the characters and that makes up part of their world. And they interact, yeah, they interact with it. But like Kaz's interaction with it, uh, especially with the the Sith Temple and all that in season two, is much different than like Ezra going through the same thing. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So, that the oh, I mean, ahead, the first. Force is is a is just like manifest in you know rebels and stuff. You know, when they go into a temple. There's, you know,
1: the temple's actually like a living.
2: Thing. T- yeah, the temple manifests, you know, characters that will be that will mess with you and stuff like that. You know, so it's 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 a different it's the you know, it's the grounded point of view. It's you know, it's it, w- it would be the, the difference between, you know, a movie about Catholicism set in a small town, you know, with a small town church and one in the Vatican, you know. With the Pope and stuff like that, you know, there's a higher level of intrigue, a little closer to the source, supposedly.
1: So to dive a little bit deeper into the show, um, we'll start with you, Charles, because like I said, people have been listening to us for like two seasons talking about this.
2: Yeah, they know what we think.
1: What are some of your favorite moments of Star Wars Resistance, your favorite episodes, favorite storylines? What are the highlights of Resistance to you? Actually, first of all, what's your favorite episode? That's a good question to start off. What is,
0: what is my favorite episode? Oh, Lord.
1: <laughs> okay, so what are your favorite high points? and you come back to episode. <laughs> or episodes, because I did write it in plural, so it doesn't have to be one.
0: Well, here's the thing about the way that I enjoy viewing resistance is I... It's weird because I almost don't think about it episodically. So when I was preparing to come on this podcast, I marathoned the entire first season over a weekend. I was trying to do season one and two, uh, but unfortunately, I have a that real life, life with human people in it, yeah, it uh, who want my attention. Uh, and I cannot sit around and watch Resistance all
1: day. And you have a very adorable cat and that you cat. have to tend to. And, and, it, and, and, and anybody who owns a cat knows that they are your overlords and you have to tend to them.
0: Having thought about it, looking at, I'll I'll just focus on the first season because that was the one that I marathoned. I do remember really loving the Sith Temple episode from season two. And I do remember, but the one that stuck out to me the most in season one was the one with Marcus Speedstar.
1: Oh, that's a good one. So when I was watching,
0: when I was doing my recap, when I was doing my rewatch, my watch through the first season again, that was the one that. Like I was doing other things at the same time. I didn't just sit here for twelve hours and watch Resistance. Uh, but that was the one that I turned away from what I was doing and watched the full episode. Because Resistance season one, pardon my uh Pardon my Hatties here is so fucking good.
1: <laughs> it is if you so watch
0: good. And one thing that stuck out to me this time that didn't, like every time you marathon something, it's new, it's different. Something sticks out to you. Yeager's character arc in season one absolutely hit me like a train this time around. And so when it got to the episode with his brother, I'm like, wow, this is really impactful stuff. This is beautiful stuff. This is something that season one and season two kind of does this. We get some frustrating hints of what could have been. Hello, Griff. Uh, I see you there with your one Uh, episode of content. my baby. (sighs) But season one, uh, and to a lesser extent season two did this, took the time to give certain characters the spotlight. Um, the other series that I really like... The other two that I remember really liking was oh. the... Um, actually, no. You know what I'd say my favorite episode of the whole series is? I'm going to put a pen and say this is definitely the one that I liked. The one that introduces Vanessa Doza.
1: Mmm, rendezvous point. That's a good episode. Rendezvous point. It's And that was actually Jennifer Corbett's first episode that she wrote, and then, of course, she's gone on to do Bad Batch.
0: Yeah, because the, the bit where... Is it she has Tam captive in the episode? Yeah. I, remember, I remember that sticking out to me. Maybe because I just really wanted Tam content. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, that was but... a
0: roundabout way of deciding on that episode is the one <laughs> I'm going to say for now is my favorite. But if you have listened to Armando recaps, you know that my favorite whatever changes all the time.
1: So then I guess uh, uh, instead of like a specific episode, like what are some of your favorite moments?
0: Uh sexy, hot, uh wet hair Kaz oh. at the end of season one. Uh where he's got his hair slicked down. I-, I needed to find a way to work that into the episode. I'm sorry.
1: No, no, For don't some apologize. Reason,
0: that character model is like mm.
1: Anybody who, like, like listens to our Rebel stuff knows I, how much I thirsted over both Thrawn and my Grande boyfriend. Anybody who knows me. Also,
0: can can we talk about how Griff is always walking around sleeveless? It's very important to me that we see his arms at all times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: very it's important par- to me that we see this.
2: Fairly important to Griff, too, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, like, Griff what? has the right priorities.
1: Griff's just like, this is my gun show. <sighs> I'm just gonna be here welcome to my guns it's great this is old lefty and this is already they got me through so much guys
0: i would say anytime that resistance pauses to have a moment with a character i think when they really like like the moment where yeager is racing with marcus in the season one episode or when it The Niku one that I always point to is the one where he has to give up Bebo. Mm,
1: That's a good one.
0: Where he goes through his episode, he's, like, refusing to give Bebo up, and then finally he's like, oh, okay, I I will do this for the good of the platform. And you can, like, see it in his face that he doesn't want to do it. Anytime that it slows down and has a character moment, that's where it's at his strongest for me, and that's the points that I remember.
1: I I definitely think that one of the strengths of Resistance is... Unlike Clone Wars and Rebels, where it was plot driving the characters, so much of Resistance is the characters driving the plot, because it is a character driven show, uh, first and foremost. It's not trying to because of the fact that it's not trying to change canon like its two predecessors it allows the characters to breathe and have like full journeys and even a lot of the background characters like there's a whole tiny mini arc of op pit just trying to get his floor sweeper back has nothing to do with the story doesn't affect the show at all but we learned to love op pit in this floor sweeper because they do such a good job of just like little things like that and and it's be and there's so many rich characters too like chris and i have talked multiple times about how like orca and Flix could carry their own show and the shorts prove that like the shorts were very heavily focused on the two of them they're such interesting characters it's clear they have a past it's clear that they have family because we've actually seen even before we saw Flix's family we knew about Flix's mother and they're just such rich characters and how they handle aunt z And Anne-Z is always just kind of like the gruff old bar lady there, but like she's this very rich character that really brings this world to life, which is probably the the community of the Colossus is just so strong, and we'll definitely talk about the community in a minute. Um, God, I hope
0: so, because that's the thing I've been waiting to talk about.
1: But for me, like some of my favorite high points of Resistance, um, outside of just the characters, was just how it really handled a lot of real real world themes so effortlessly and it's one of those shows that on the surface it seems like very slapsticky but when you actually stop and think about like what's happening what's going on it's actually one of the darkest star wars shows like i always go back to the episode that disappeared because that episode is absolutely terrifying and using like real world Holocaust imagery to show what's happening to the aliens at the platform and how they're like screaming about their rights as they're being dragged away from this by this like fascist army and being thrown into shipping containers to be sent off to prison camp camps or death like that's Holocaust imagery and it's so powerful and it's wrapped up in this bright happy show but it handles it so tactfully. And like to even have a character like Jace Recklin. J- as much as I hate Jace Recklin, I think he's the best villain of the show because he is the cautionary tale of when someone is this shitty and gets given a position of power, how that can absolutely corrupt a person to their own demise. And he's such a well-written character and to me like he's a much better villain than pyre or tyranny or phasma or any of them he's to me one of the best villains of the sequel era
2: well he's a more real villain you know yeah. in, in a lot of ways although like we really don't see him get corrupted cuz he's kind of a little shit from yeah, the yeah he's first always time a shit we, back. We, we we meet him but yeah, like what I like about Resistance is the story is sort of more in service of the characters and vice versa. You know, it's not like a, a lot of stuff are beholden, beholden to the larger narrative of the, the movies or whatever. And this one is only in so far as, you know, the, the First order's taking over. But that's about as much plot wise is it has to get involved with that so basically like the plot is very you know the basic plot you know the the first order is taking over and the colossus eventually has to has to go on the run and has you know one of its one of its members you know briefly is is goes to the first order and has to be wooed back and uh So, yeah, so the whole story is is basically to to drive that whole thing of how 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 fascism can come into play and how somebody who's a good person could get wrapped up in it, you know, and so and so everything, you know, everything else is just sort of, you know, in service of that. And that's that's. a a rare thing in Star Wars and it's not because they don't probably don't want to do it, but usually they're, they're bound by being in this grand, you know, um, you know, hero's journey story that's, that's tied into the whole Skywalker thing and, and the, and the higher levels of the, you know, the empire and the rebellion and the first order and the resistance and all that. So this was the first show that just got to, sort of have you know i mean i guess like just a show of just just like basically the star wars version of say little house on the prairie i guess really couldn't exist because it wouldn't be (laughs) star wars you know but you know i i i wouldn't care i would watch a star wars story that's not even set it you know that just had the like personal conflicts and in town conflicts and stuff rather than you know uh galaxy wide wide thing and resistance is the closest we've gotten to that besides like say individual episodes of any show
0: one thing that's interesting to me about resistance um when i look at the villains of it you know i i know hope you want to come back to this but i I just want to say real fast off of we Chris's go point. We can get
1: into the villains now. I'm we, mean, can, we, that, can, we, we, we can jump can. right
0: to that, yeah. yeah. We
1: can jump right yeah. to so that. Oh, the yeah, we can segue at to a me.
0: drop of a hat. Awesome.
1: That's why this the is Gizzy Gizzy Roundtable time.
0: The interesting thing to me about the villains of Resistance, uh, and it's about half and half, half of the villains for me are really compelling, interesting characters, and the other half of them are sexy gold lamps. Um mm-hmm. Apparently, Tierney and I have that same opinion. I, I just want to credit Jaggeyes and Jedi for getting me on board with the Tierney and Pyre are hate-fucking train. Yes. Yay! We did
2: they it, definitely Chris. are. That's the peak.
0: We did it. We did it. I cannot watch these two and, and not be like, yeah, you two are letting off some steam. Yeah, It is the top, for sure. I had to
1: laugh at the sexy golden lamp, because do you you know what the sexy leg lamp trope is?
0: Uh, The sexy leg lamp trope? Are you referring to, like, a character can be replaced by a sexy lamp?
1: Yes, and doesn't pinch the story at all.
0: (laughs) Deliberately why I chose that phrasing.
1: That's uh, that's Mrs. Sumar and Rebels. I talked all about it then. (laughs) What you were saying.
0: It's half and half for me. So you have characters, like, I thought Vonrig and Pyre could be the same character, to be entirely honest. Uh, I didn't see much different between those two. But then you have characters like Tierney and Rucklin. And one thing we were talking about, I am contractually obligated under strict orders from Bradley to mention Gold Squadron Gaze at least three times, so I think this is the third time. Uh, But one thing we talked about a lot in our Mando coverage was we talked about When you look at the Empire five years after the Battle of Jakku, it's five years, by the way. I'm going to issue that correction uh, on next week's episode. I I said in a previous one it was nine years. It is not. You look at somebody who's joining the Empire five years after the Battle of Jakku. There is no Emperor. All of the Empire has gone with Ray Sloan to the Unknown Regions that was competent to become the First Order and eventually get co-opted by Snoke fall apart. The ones that are left, the only guy that's relatively confident is is Moff Gideon. What is the kind of person that is going to join this empire? And what I said is that that type of person is either going to be someone who like genuinely whole hog fanatic believes order has to be restored to the galaxy uh, and we have to be put in charge in order to do it. Or they're just an asshole. Yep. Like they're yeah. just a bully who wants to put on the stormtrooper armor and bully people. And I think something Resistance does really well through the characters of Rucklin and then Tierney, once we eventually learn her backstory, is show what type of person and Tam, especially Tam at the end of the first season. Uh huh. What type of person not only would willingly join the First Order like Rucklin does, Because Ruckland is a piece of shit. Bless you, Elijah Wood, for bringing this character to life. I love you. You're fantastic. Ruckland can crawl an old flaming Star Destroyer and die. Uh, And that was the phrasing I picked very specifically. (laughs) Uh, Or you get somebody like Tam to what kind of person can be manipulated into it. Somebody who's frustrated. Somebody who feels like their authority figures have let them down. Somebody who feels like they have tried and tried and tried and tried and they are not getting what they feel they deserve even after all the work they put in. It and, sounds horrible to say, but that's that's the kind of person that can be manipulated into what if fascism was fine actually?
2: Yeah, we're talking about like the alt-right pipeline, you know, in a lot of ways.
0: Basically, yeah, like
2: agreement um, but, and you know, and uh, 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 a a a you know a past of of not being treated well and not having any advantage. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've heck, I have people in my own life that I've talked to where they are starting to realize that the American dream is not a real thing, and they've been fed this like propaganda lie their entire lives, and now they're just angry at everything. And it's so easy to manipulate anger, especially when you have a catalyst like When you catch like someone Kaz. at that
2: point, yeah.
1: And when you have a catalyst like Cas, who just shows up and, to Tam's point of view, gets given this golden treatment. In her point of view, when she's been working all this time, like I, I've constantly, like, have pointed out, like, how Matt, how much I wanted to see Tam fly the fireball at least once, because that is her ship. And then there's this new goofy kid that comes in who constantly takes her ship out that's promised to her by Yeager and keeps wrecking it. And that's something that she's putting her own hard-earned time and money into.
2: Yeah, no, Tam, for the first time, somebody's coming up to Tam and that and to that person, it's important to that person to get Tam flying something, you know. to Up to that point, it's been important for Tam to be flying, but it didn't, doesn't seem like it's very important to Yeager or, you know more important to, to 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 get Kaz flying, you know so it was it was just you know the first time somebody s- like not saw her but like acknowledged her, I guess you know
0: it, it felt like someone was listening to her yeah, and throughout the first season and it it shone really in stark relief to me when I watched it. Again, in order the way that I did, is all the first season, Tam is trying and trying and trying to talk to Yeager. One of the great things about the way that relationship developed is Yeager's kind of at fault here. Yeah, Tam is constantly trying to say through the first season, trying to express her concerns. And Yeager is constantly brushing it off. We know as the audience that, you know, Kaz has a secret mission from the Resistance that he can't tell anybody about. And we'll get to the spying thing before the end of this episode. Uh, But to Tam's point of view, Yeager's just brushing her off and brushing her off and brushing her off. Tierney is the first person in that season to sit down and listen to her and validate her feelings.
1: That's one of the few times I've ever heard Chris yell about a piece of media in the, like the, what, six years, we six, seven years we've been recording together. I don't uh,
2: know. Well, like, yeah.
1: Like Chris was pissed at Yeager, And I think it was the episode where they're all sitting at the dinner table. Oh, and, yeah. And Tam's just like, well, what about my grandfather? He worked in an Imperial factory. Was he a villain? And Yeager just blows her off. Like doesn't even try to sit down and be like, let me explain to you what the empire was really like. Let me lay this all out for you. He just fucking blows her off, and I've never heard Chris yell like that before. At a piece of media. <laughs> like he was mad.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, because yeah, well, there, yeah, and and there was. I mean, oh, you almost heard Miss Bernice take a little nip at me.
1: Miss Bernice, I heard a little.
2: That's her jumping off the chair. But, but like. uh, not to get political, but we have Nazi trouble in my town. And, and there was some, there was stuff going on around that time and watching like Yeager do all the, and of course it's a testament to the story of the thing, because that's how I'm supposed to be feeling. But I'm like, no, you're doing, it's, it's basically, you know, that thing that it's just like, all it takes is one conversation, you know, at the right at the right time, and and it's all conversations that Yeager should be very familiar with because he's lived through the empire, you know, and should know better and should be like, okay, Tam, let, you know, let's and to himself be thinking, let's nip this in the bud. And he just like stubbornly was not doing it, like show after show. And that was the one where yeah, I was just like, No, <laughs> yeah, you have to do something. But of course. Uh, But like in in, in the end of it, like Yeager's character does, does have an arc and does get better. But what I like about it is he's, he's not a hundred percent. He's not, he's just basically on the beginning of starting to maybe come back to the, you know, tuning into the world after, you know, losing his family, which would understandably break anybody. You know, but I like that it wasn't, just. you know, there wasn't a point where Yeager like uh, a switch gets thrown with Yeager. He's still he's still kind of standoffish and, you know, he's he's still like plays his cards close when he does when not not only does it happen, but shouldn't.
1: We saw that in the finale, too. Like, when, yeah. you know, Kaz gives it, Tam this huge hug when she comes back. And the moment, and then, like, she looks at Eager, and he's just like, wow. And she's like, yeah, we still have a lot of things to work out. <laughs>
0: We're going to yeah. talk about this.
1: Yeah, like, there's still... And, and I kind of like that, like, despite as, as much as I would love a season three, like, it has, still has that... These characters are not fully wrapped up. I mean, that's what fan fiction is for. Like, you know, it's going to get wrapped up somewhere else, but maybe not in the media. And I think that's the strength of the villains of resistance is there's no Palpatine's off like twirling his evil mustache. There's no like great big bad or anything. There's no Throns. These are all just people. I mean, yeah, like Phasma is there, but she really doesn't do much of anything. But when it comes to everybody else, they're just people who truly do believe in what they're doing, even if it's evil. Like. Like um, Tierney and Rucklin, like truly believe in their cause, and that's what makes it interesting. Because these are real. Th- this is very much mirroring a lot of things in our real world where people do believe in these kind of things, honestly. Like I've, I've never met a Darth
0: Vader, right? I've never met an Emperor Palpatine.
1: I've, I've met never so met many Rucklins.
0: Grand Admiral Thrawn. I've met so many Rucklands and I've met yes. so many tyrannies, and yeah. the the. The interesting thing about them, Tierney in particular, the way that she approaches and the way she handles things, and the whole way the First Order handles things in this show. Season one, the one of the overarching plots of season one is the First Order is worming its way onto the station. It doesn't invade. It doesn't come in and land their ships and it's like, we're in charge now. They're invited. And the way that they do this, and and the way that they're able to get away with it, is because veterans like Doza and Yeager are not prepared for this type of infiltration. The Empire, particularly the late-stage Empire around when Yeager and Doza would have been in it, that's an Empire that's in full-on military conflict with pew, the Rebellion. Pew, pew, yep, that's yep. a pew-pew fight. And I think that's part of the reason that Yeager doesn't realize how susceptible Tam is to tyranny's manipulation. He's not prepared for this kind of war. Yeah. This is a different kind of warfare. This is a space fascist regime that is figured out. We can't just walk in the front door, put blasters to these kids head and say, you're in charge now they do it. They do it with their Stormtrooper program elsewhere, but they figured out that that's not the only way to do things. And they can get in, and if they play their cards right, if they can just sit down with you at the bar and have some good food in the Aces Lounge and just talk for a minute, that's all they need to plant the seed in your head. And if, if they're just they're around, such bad guys.
2: Just just being around normalizes them. They're they're just there. They're just another, yeah. I mean, Cam
1: has a very telling line where she's just like, "Why this is a public platform? They're allowed to get gassier too." It's it's a quick trip.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> We're all, at a quick it's trip. From oh, bless head. you,
1: yeah. bless yeah. you for bringing talking up talking about quick, fascists
2: yeah. on a public platform,
1: huh? <laughs> <laughs> I I do want to say um that. I think the difference with Doza is he's very much stuck in between a rock and a hard place. And we and, and we kind of see some of this in The Mandalorian uh, very early on when Din Djarin was just like, the New Republic's a joke. They're on the very edge of wild space. They're about as far away from the Republic as possible. So they really are on their own. Yeah, it's a big game of
2: poker. They know what. So
1: much of the first season, like Doza, constantly says the platform needs money. That's why we're having this big race with Marcus Speedstar. Like we need money. So he's in this interesting position where he is playing with the first order, but it's because his his back's against the wall, and they're like bleeding money. So he's trying, and he has no support. So right, and
2: he knows what the first order is. Yeah. But but at the same time, like he can't just he can't just like ban them from the the or or shoot them on site or or any of the things that like normally you you would you would do with somebody like you know like they're that. They're equipped they, for that, right? Well, it's not even that they're equipped for that. They yeah they 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 don't they don't have the power advantage to do that, and uh, and so he they have to play a game with them. So they know that they want to take over and but they can't you know so everybody's playing this little footsie game with each other and the first order is just like we'll play footsie and hang out until we get the right moment and then when we, and what i love about this is the stakes aren't the uh, the galaxy or the universe or or anything like that they're they're a gas station that that's gonna get Tierney, you know uh, uh, a promotion from kylo ren you know, that's the whole motivation of the bad guys in this, this one. And, and so that makes the good guys whole motivation is just like keeping the family together and alive. You know, it's great.
1: So speaking of the family, um, let's talk about team Colossus a little bit. So Did we I have, segue for you. Thank you. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. That was so nice, Chris. Oh my God. <laughs> nice work. Hope. So, uh, team Colossus. That was beautiful. Thank that was you. Beautiful.
2: That was hope. That wasn't me. I, 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 I <laughs> I, I did not think I was setting her up. I was not trying.
1: So, um, they do, with jealousy. They do start off as Team Fireball at the beginning. Um, uh, but of course, they're dubbed in the finale Team Colossus. So, what are some of your thoughts about Kaz and Yeager, Niku, and Tam, like the core cast of the show, Charles?
0: So, I am going to be honest when I first watched the show, I was not a fan of Niku. I was really not. I, I loved the show.
1: He's pure joy. But I watched
0: it. I watched <laughs> it the first time and I went, oh my God, really?
2: Really? I thought he's a proxy for little kids. He's for little kids to identify with. So he's, that, he's that's what I.
1: He's the tracks of
2: Star
0: Wars. I went, oh, we're doing the hyper literal alien again oh boy he's gonna get into hijinks by not understanding things and then he does and the premiere and i'm like okay watching the show back and listening to the the coverage uh on this podcast you might you guys might have heard of uh jag eyes and jedi uh where they talk about resistance uh you should check it out it's pretty good
1: oh there you go. I, I, I heard they're assholes I don't have the um, time
2: for a lot of podcasts.
1: Yeah, they're just such assholes. I don't know. Well, this
0: so. one does. This one does tend to ramble a little bit, so <laughs> you know, maybe if you time.
2: <laughs> I'll put it on eight times speed and, and give it a whirl.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but something that I didn't realize until I sort of watched back and I was listening to the coverage, I was deep dive, thinking about what what makes me love Resistance and connect with it. Niku's the heart of the team. Because if you watch the first season, you kind of have this Tam, Yeager, Kaz kind of dynamic going on. This triangle between the three of them where they're all kind of talking around each other. And none of them can be honest with each other. Niku's just here and he loves everybody and he's happy to be here. And that infectious kind of happy to be here was something I missed the first time, but is absolutely integral to how the team functions on screen.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. When
2: I mean, you have a, a Niku in a team like that, like it he sort of becomes the glue because nobody wants to make Niku feel bad. Nobody wants to fight with when you have a Niku around, you know?
1: Niku a lot is how I I see Hera and rebels and her function because Hera doesn't really have a character arc she's just solid the whole way through and and of course in like season four when Kanan dies she takes a little bit of backseat because she's mourning but and then then she is of course becomes the strong leader she is then we see her in other things but like Hera's kind of just solid from start to, begin- to start to end and that's how Niku is he doesn't really have a character arc we find out stuff about his past he has a little bit of a Side romance with Nina, but he's just solid the whole way through. And I like that about him because, for one, I don't believe that everybody needs character arcs, for one. But also, like, we see that there's so much more to Niku and how he can be utilized. I think the mutiny is a really good example of that where... He and Captain Dozer and Eager are all aware of how people perceive Niku. So he is the perfect spy for that situation. And Kaz is the decoy, because everyone is paying attention to Kaz because he's jealous because Niku's the spy. And Niku just slides in there and he just owns the situation. He's a very capable character. Even if he's played off as like being like the happy go-lucky one that everyone thinks is naive, but he's not. There's well, he, appear, so he appears
2: to, to be naive, and then you notice that, like, he understands, oh, I have to knock this guy out with this uh, with this wrench.
1: <laughs> I have that photo waiting for your Halloween, by the way, <laughs> 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 to put on our Twitter. I'm very excited. I can't wait. Um, but, yeah, um, what about, because we talked a lot about Tam, and I, I do believe, even though we had Tam in the villain section, I don't believe she's a villain. She's a victim. But... I I do want to touch on Kaz because he is the protagonist and we haven't talked about Kaz a lot. Um, I said this before in our season two wrap up and I'm going to say it again. To me, Kaz is one of the best developed characters in any Star Wars. And I think he has a far more, he has a far bigger change in character arc than either Ezra or Ahsoka in their two respective shows.
0: Yeah. And it was something that, listening to jag and Jedi through the Resistance season two coverage, and then going back and watching the first season. Like the first, the pilot episode, the first few minutes of the pilot episode does a really fantastic job setting up like, what is his character art going to be? Where is his character going to start up to where it ends at the end of the season? Like it sort of felt like the first time I watched, I was like, Oh, he's, you know, static the whole way through. But then you watch it from beginning, even the first season, they touch on how he's slowly getting better mechanically uh, with his skills. But also the spying thing, which I'm going to awkwardly segue in. The way that this show handles spying, you look at Kaz and you're like, really, him, a spy? And he doesn't do a lot of spy things in the show, but that's not the point.
2: Yeah, no, it starts out. Remember, he he starts tiptoeing around with his magnifying glass at first, <laughs> and then he realizes all he has to do is just be there, you know, right. be there and involved in the in the in in the life there, and he'll start. And if you're looking, you'll see things, you know. So.
1: And, and His, you pointed out, Chris, that, like, the fact that he's so goofy that nobody would actually take him seriously as a spy, which is actually quite effective for him.
0: <laughs> which
2: they actually verbalize at the end, you know, yeah.
1: Here's which, the thing he, about,
0: sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, Niku actually, yeah, actually says that about Cad in the, in the later episodes.
0: Here's the thing about spying that Resistance does, and I don't think I've ever seen any other show about spies address, ever. In, in my entire time-consuming media. This is something that's really, truly unique to this show. Spying is like 1% doing the sneaking around, and 99% just being a person who exists in a yep. place.
1: Yep. Absolutely, yep.
0: And when we talk about Kaz's character, the spying almost being sort of incidental, We don't think of him as a spy first and foremost because 99% of what he does in his day-to-day life is as a mechanic. And we chart his development as an engineer and as a spy in tandem to each other because they're both equally important to him. He spends a tiny bit of time spying and that's the times we see in the show, but this dude just every day he wakes up and he goes to work and he screws up at work and he blows things up in his face. And then Tam yells at him and then he gets bullied a lot, but that's just his day-to-day life. And it's something that the show does is it gives us enough time in that world with him that we see him grow there as well. In addition to him being a better spy for the resistance to the point where in season two, he's at one point, he's like going to leave and go to the resistance and then turns around and comes back because he's like, oh, no, the Colossus is in danger, actually. I think.
1: I, yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. Um, OK. I think that also interesting thing about Kaz, that sets him apart from someone like Ezra and Ahsoka. And Ahsoka a little bit because she comes from like Jedi privilege, but he's a rich kid. He comes from a wealthy background. He is uh, like, he starts at a position of privilege and then has to come down to normal people. And while I get that that is frustrating, that's a very important part of his journey is the fact that he started in a place of privilege and he has to just learn how to function and like balance money. And I think that's a very interesting point for him because, again, that's why I've talked about multiple times in the shows I'm not I won't go into it why he's kind of similar to Ruckland in a lot of ways because Ruckland while maybe not in a position of privilege he acts like he's in a position of privilege and the difference between Kaz and Ruckland is Kaz's kindness he's he's at his moral core a kind character and of course, in the books are different because we get into more of, like, Leia's upbringing. But, like, looking at what's on screen, Leia's the only other character that does come from a position of privilege, but it's never really addressed. They address that in his show, that he does not know how to function as a normal person in the beginning, and he has to learn that. And, and he is such a drastically different character. If you, if you watch the last episode of the series and then go back and watch the first— Kaz is completely selfless when he starts off being very selfish. He's caught, like, even episode one, he's manipulating Niku for his own gains. And in the, se- the series finale, uh, The Escape, he's completely selfless, telling the people at the Colossus to run because he knows he's going to die and he doesn't want them to die, too. And that is just such a huge 180 for him to start off as such a selfish person and kind of a dick. And he, his kindness really comes out and shines, and so much of it is he is him experiencing war for the first time, seeing his planet get destroyed. Like he kind of looks at the resistance as like a cool club that he can join and be like, yeah, I'm with like cool people like Poe Dameron and Princess Leia. But when he sees his his home get destroyed and he doesn't know where his family is, he goes into a very manic mode of just like. Trying to fix everything. Well, then
2: they come for his second home. They come yeah. for his current home after that. Yes. I was just thinking, as soon as the, the, the Colossus takes off, Kaz really doesn't have anything to spy on anymore. So, like, he probably either should have gone to war, or, like, what if, what if like, instead of that, the storyline they had, like, once the Colossus took off, Kaz <coughs> went with Tam and as a spy to join the first order, although he would, he wouldn't have been good. He he's, that wouldn't have been, (laughs) but what, 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 what about, remember how they were always like, Oh, Niku's the other, the other spy or whatever. What if it turned out like, you know, three quarters of the way through season two, that, that Tam was a, a spy all along and had, and had been working with Yeager to get in on the first order ship. And like, you know, blo- and was an inside man and, and, like, it was something that even, t- like, then Tam or er, er, uh, Kaz gets a little taste of Tam's medicine, because he, you know, that had all been hidden from him.
1: That would have been interesting.
2: That would have been a fun storyline. I like it the way it is, but...
1: Um, before we jump into the importance of the community, did you did anybody have anything else about Team Colossus they wanted to throw in? Because we've already talked about Tam and Yeager a little I- bit. I do have
0: one more note on, on Kaz uh, real quick. I think that a lot of the credit for Kaz, and I'm sure you guys have done this like 100,000 times. Uh, shout out, like, Christopher Sean. He's so good. Part. He's so good. And he imbues this character that's this goofy yet earnest, balancing the likable and and unlikable traits to the character in the beginning like i, I know i i am trying to avoid mention every single voice actor because they're all good but i think christopher sean deserves extra props for just the fantastic way that he brought kaz to life also congratulations uh mr sean on your face uh, well done i saw a photo
1: on Good job, Christopher Sean's parents. Good jeez. Good
0: job. I saw a photo of him on Twitter the other day and he's wearing the Kaz jacket.
1: Oh, I love that picture. And I'm like I love it. Oh.
0: Congratulations, sir.
1: I would love to see him play like a live-action Kaz jeez. like like ten years later. Like, oh he'd oh. Oh,
0: jeez. it's
1: so good. Yeah. Give us give us the Finn show and have Kaz show up in it. I'm I'm gonna I know I'm gonna mention this in like two episodes when we get into our, our Visions miniseries. I got so emotional hearing Christopher Sean in the Village Bride, like hearing his voice again because it had been like over a year since Resistance had ended, but because of COVID, it feels like it's been ten years because it's just been such slog of fucking two years. It's crazy that resistance ended last year. Isn't that crazy? It feels like it was ten years it, ago. N- no. No, it didn't. <laughs> yes, it did. It ended, no, it uh, didn't. It actually
0: no. ended in 2020. No, it's it's been, uh, it's been 10 years since <laughs> It, feels it like is simultaneous no, it no. I know, right? No. I know, right? Uh, no.
1: But like I got so emotional hearing Christopher Sean in The Village Bride because one, like he was almost using his cow's voice, like it was like a subtle version of it, and I was like, oh my god. And I like started getting really, really emotional. I'm gonna bring that up again when we get there in a couple episodes. Um But one thing I know we all have to talk about, because Resistance wouldn't be Resistance without the side characters. The people of the Colossus bring this world to life. And, like, these are characters like Sonara and Aunt Z and Orca and Flick and the Dozas and the Aces, like, and Opie Pitt, Like, all the side characters in this show are so important. Griff. And Griff, well, he falls under the Aces, but yes, that too. (laughs) So... I I want to start with you, Charles, because you have a very beautiful paragraph here. Um, so, what is the importance of the people, of the classes, to you? So, I'm gay.
0: This is a shock. I what? know what? to everyone yeah. on this show. What? <laughs> and when I look at when I look at my life and the things that have been important to me, the lgbt community that i have found when i was living i currently live in los angeles uh but especially when i lived in atlanta uh and and back when i lived in some other cities as well the lgbt community just the people that i would see in my day-to-day life were a hugely important part of that life Something that Resistance does that I've never seen any Star Wars show do is tap into that same sense of community that I feel in a strong community that I feel like I'm a part of. The thing with the people of the Colossus and the story that Resistance is telling is it's not necessarily specifically about the found family. Yes, the found family is important yes team colossus is important and and the heart of the story but what makes the story something special is the community around it kaz is not best buddies with every single person on the colossus some of them he gets along great with some of them do not get along with him that well some of them are just like people who are there in his life but resistance takes pains to immerse us in the community that kaz is a part of and make it feel like a living breathing community he has not just the people that he works with and lives with but he has the people he sees in the bar after work he has his friends that maybe he doesn't live with uh like torah and sonora who are still important to him and who are there but are not like in the same garage with him You have people like the Aces, the random people who are around the Colossus, the one lady who's constantly hitting on Kaz (laughs) with mood, by the way. Um, (laughs) You 100% got my support, lady. I'd be doing the same thing.
1: Hey, come stay with me.
0: (laughs) But I think it's important to me, as somebody who values community as strongly as I do, with that being an important part of my life and how I relate to people through my identity as a member of the LGBT community, seeing that community, that concept represented on screen in such a a beautiful, lived-in way is something that really keeps me drawn back to this show.
1: I I would absolutely agree with that, because as you were talking, I never really thought about that before, because Rebels... Rebels and Bad Batch, for sure, focuses on the found family. And even because like the Clone Force 99, like they're all brothers, but they're also making this like kind of new family with Amiga there as well. Um, And Rebels just screams found family. And um, Clone Wars is kind of an interesting beast with that because the Jedi, in a way, are a community. But there is more of, like, a smaller, tighter-knit unit between, like, Ahsoka, Anakin, and Obi-Wan. So they are kind of more of a little bit... And, like, Padme is, like, the mom of the group who keeps the bus rolling. Um, But, yeah, like, as... It's interesting when it comes to the Colossus because um, it always reminds me of other media. In a lot of ways, like, Chris and I just wrapped up Gravity Falls. And we talked so much about how important the people of Gravity Falls are. Because it gives stakes to the story. Um, and that's over on Hope makesurs watch cartoons. Um, but also as you were talking, I started thinking of other shows like um, I'm currently reviewing uh, amphibia for over at the Geeky Waffle. And there's the community of Wartwood where Anne, who is an outsider comes through this world of talking frogs and not everybody in Wartwood likes her. I think if I remember correctly, their um, motto is slow to respect, even slower to accept. I think that's their motto, (laughs) Um, which is a good motto. Um, And she has to learn to earn their trust and not at the end of the day, like not everybody likes everybody, but they're still a community and they'll fight together. And, it gives stakes in a different way. And something that season one does so well is let us get to know everybody. We get to know like Aunt Z and Orca and Flix and the Chelidae and Kel and Ayla because when they are on the run, it's not just Kaz or Tam that's in danger. It's the hundreds of people we have learned to love. And it's different from something like Clone Wars, which is planet hopping every week. So we might like meet like the Lerman of the week and then we're gone. Or something like um, the people of Lothal, where it's an entire planet. And, like, yeah, there are people like the Sumars and stuff like that. But it's different because it's just this one space and this one gas station where everybody matters. So it's just, it's not just Kaz that's in danger. It's these people. And we love them. We want them all to be okay. We might not like everybody. Like, I could give or take Grevel. But I would, I, I would fight fiercely for, like, Orca and Flix. Because those two personally mean so much to me. Like, the fact... Okay, I just also want to throw out that they're historic, for one. They're the first on-screen queer couple of Star Wars. And it still pisses me off to this fucking day that this month during Pride Month, Star Wars Twitter never once mentioned them. That's bullshit, for one. And it makes me so mad. Because they are the historic couple of Star Wars. But it's still, like it gives a different kind of stakes to the show because it's not just like Lothal being in peril where, you know, it's everyone's in danger because ever you know a lot of people are probably fine because they don't live in the city. They live out in the boonies and they're fine. Um, but everybody on the Colossus is in peril. So it's not just like a whole planet. It's everybody's at risk. And they all come together in the end. And it's this beautiful moment where it's not just Kaz and Yeager... In Torah, fighting—it's everybody—and I love that sh- that shot in the finale where they have to talk and make that decision as a community, and they decide to defend their home. And it's not—and it's such a beautiful moment where they all come together. And it's a different kinds of stakes that we don't really get to see a lot in, in Star Wars, where it's—it's it's, they're essentially a town. It's just a single town that's like defending their territory, which is very modern in a lot of medias. It's very modern in shows like Amphibia and a little bit Owl House, lesser to extent. But, like, um, fuck, what's the other one I was just thinking of? It'll come to me and I'm just going to yell it wildly into the void. Um, but, yeah, like, it's, it's such a different feeling because... And, and how they explore, explore, I have to say, like with Sonara, how they explore different kinds of found family. Because Sonara starts in a found family with the pirates, but it's bad and toxic for her and actively harming her emotionally and mentally. And she realizes that this is not the right found family for her, so she moves to the Colossus, where a found family loves her and supports her and, and trusts her. Where she doesn't have to watch her back all the time to people who might just shank her in the end, like Kragan. And that's an also an interesting story to see how different kinds of found family can affect a person and hurt them. So it's it's just I like um, Gravity Falls is the one I'm screaming into the void. That was the one I blanked on. There we go. Gravity Falls! There, it's yelled into the void. Um, but resistance is so different from the other shows because of how it's not just about like the old overly used found family trope. It's about a community. Which is very different and something that we don't get to see very often. I'm I, rambling now. Someone's still Star
2: me. Wars, Little House on the Prairie.
1: There you go. <laughs> I uh,
0: piggy piggybacking off of Hope, what you were saying about you know communities coming together. Uh, if you'll permit me to get very heavy and serious for a moment,
1: okay. uh I looking. I was about to joke to be like no, and then you said seriously and heavy, and I was like, oh, I can't joke there.
0: Looking, looking at resistance and the way it it deals with the themes of a community that doesn't always get along, has divisions internally, but comes together when it's important. Uh, for example, the end of season one, the end of season two. Uh, you know these moments that matter looking at it through the lens of being a gay man who exists in an lgbt space an lgbt community i specifically remember you know we would look at the community of of one of the places i used to live i'm not going to say specifically which one of the ones i mentioned it is uh but i remember that particular community you know wasn't always everybody got along with each other everybody wasn't like ride or die for each other Sometimes you just saw people at the bar, said hello, never really talked to them beyond that. And some people, you know, you actively just didn't get along with. Uh, But then you'd have moments like large drag shows, for instance, or Pride does this every year, where you get communities coming together in happy context, a lot like the races on the Colossus where they're coming together to watch these races, it's a huge part of that community. But then on a darker, uh, a more serious note, I remember when the Pulse shooting happened and I was fortunate enough that I was living in a community at the time that was a very large gay community. And I remember the way that that community came together in that moment when it mattered to grieve together and to try to work through what had happened together. And that was something that if if I had been alone trying to wrestle that, if I had been, you know, in one of the small towns that I've lived in where maybe there's not that many out queer people, things might've been a very different experience for me. But because I was in a community like that, When the community needed to draw together, it came together. And something that's important to me about the way that Resistance tackles that community, especially in the finale, especially in the series finale, is that when it matters, it matters. Mm. And that's looking at it through my specific lens of my specific experience, That's something that's important to me to see on screen.
1: Absolutely. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, (laughs) I feel so silly because as you were talking, I was just thinking on an even smaller scale of when I used to work in a comic book store and all the stores know each other. Like, we're we're all buds. We all help each other out. We send people to each other's stores. But there are just sometimes where, like, people just don't like you. Like, one of my coworkers for some reason the moment I started working there she just never liked me and I never liked her but we worked well together and we were a good team but like I won't go into details but like when something absolutely bad happened to our store and it really rocked us we put our shit aside and we were hugging each other and we stood together to overcome it and communities come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and even within the queer community there are divides like there's of course like like people who like bi erasures and of course people who in our community who don't accept trans people and both bullshit um but i prefer
0: not to speak to those people um
1: but even then like it's when when it comes like back against the wall to stuff like like the pulse shooting we do come together when it matters and it, every community has some sort of way to go. And I think that's the important thing. And, um, and now I'm rambling. So, Chris, what do you think about the community at the Colossus? Because now I'm just rambling.
2: <laughs> I'm going to take the most shallow uh, approach on it and say... Do it! <laughs> I think... Uh, Please! I, I, I think with the, with the, the sort of abbreviated um, version of Resistance that we got, you know, that it wasn't like a four or five season long show... I think they had the you know, the main Colossus family had their arcs worked out and I think it's it was all the ancillary characters that suffered because of of its its shortness. So there's I, I think that that's that's one of my big regrets of resistance is there are a lot of storylines and things about a lot of characters that we probably would have gotten to know. Or and see you know in the course of several more seasons that would that 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 That's I was kind right. kind of looking forward to in season one when they started in- introducing such a wide cast it's like ooh this is gonna cast a, a really wide net and and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna get to you know it, it, it's that like you can sort of like look at life on the Colossus and translate it into like this, it wouldn't be exactly like it, but it would be similar in spirit to like, if you're li- living in like Moss Isley or something like that, you know, uh, any kind of like border, you know, border town, wild west town. That's, that's, you know, so with a, with a civilized, you know, stop in it. And, uh, and i thought we were gonna really get to see that shaded in and they and they couldn't they had to just cleave to the main storyline and and wrap it all up but yeah that's that's my biggest regret of this this show as a whole is there's whole swaths of it that we never got to see you know yeah
1: i would agree with that um
0: where the fuck is my freya episode Turtle I just,
2: people. I oh. want to know more about the turtle people. The turtle people all but disappeared in season two. You know, they, they just sort of wobbled in and out every once in a while. But, I mean, the turtle people were some of the most interesting. Uh, uh, everywhere you would sort of poke into, every corner you poked into, and the Colossus had something really interesting going on. And, you know, the turtle people, there was a lot of, like, possibilities of them being you know, kind of force sensitive, you know, them to be the intro them and the kids to be the introduction of the force into the show. And, uh, yet that never happened because they just never had time to. So, you know, the, tur- the, you know, the turtle people and the kids just didn't really sort of do much in season two. Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. Um, as, as I was looking at these, these are kind of the same questions. So I kind of want to put them together. How has resistance impacted the franchise as a whole? And in what ways do you think resistance has pushed pushed the boundaries of Star Wars? Which now, as I see them, they're the same question. <laughs> so, Charles, how do you think it's impacted the franchise as a whole and pushed the boundaries of Star Wars?
0: So I've I've talked a lot about how unique i find the way resistance handles its story that it it doesn't feel like it needs necessarily to tie itself to the main plot that it's gone off and, and done its own thing that one thing I didn't mention but Chris just helpfully brought up was hey. that Star Wars resistance wasn't afraid to get weird and that's something that we see a little more now but at the time, it went off and did some things like the sea monsters and the turtle people and flicks and orca and the bird in laws, which is super wild. And there's like a dragon the at one point. I
1: love the I love them. They're so stupid. I love the dumb gazos. They're my babies. <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry. I had to scream about the gazos.
0: I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed because what Resistance did was even the books before the High Republic, the High Republic just ran off and started doing its own thing and has been on a, a train of doing its own thing for an absurd...
1: <laughs> Rest uh, me good, Kevin Scott. Just keep destroying me.
0: <laughs> where is Yoda, Daniel? Daniel knows where what he, he? They all
1: know what they did.
0: They all know what they did. But something that Resistance did was it wasn't afraid to get away from that. And I think even looking at the books in the comics, Resistance has pushed it kind of the furthest away that it's been. Or certainly one of the furthest away that it's been. In that, yeah, Poe is there for like five minutes. Um, Yeah, the Starkiller base gets blown up at the end of season one. And Hux is there. And Kylo Ren's there. there.
1: Phasma's Phasma's kind of there. (laughs) Like this is kind of movies.
0: <laughs> But I think it pushed the boundaries in terms of how far away can we get from the quote unquote yeah. main plot and still tell an engaging story that feels like it belongs in this universe. And I'm crossing my fingers for like a Star Wars resistance renaissance where yep. they will do like they did with Aftermath. And a few years later, start bringing stuff back. I'm waiting for that moment because I want to see... When the when Darth Buggles, <laughs> Sith Master, showed up in yes. a Bad Batch, which, by the way, headcanon, uh, or maybe that was Darth Buggles.
1: Oh, play the music, Chris. You better be playing the music.
0: Was that Darth Buggles? Was Buggles on Pantora many decades before the events of Resistance, laying the seeds for what would eventually be Buggles' master plan to get into this cozy high tower and get all of it. And Buggles is like
2: 8,000 years old.
0: Exactly.
1: We know that he's immortal because he can fly a ship and be perfectly okay.
0: (laughs) We have to look at Bad Batch and say, what was Buggles doing on Pandora? (laughs) <laughs> right at the end of the ga- fall of the Galactic Republic, what nefarious scheme was Darth Buggles enacting decades? I can I can
1: hear Allie screaming from the West Coast. <laughs> 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 she still gives me shit on Twitter about that. She's well, like, too it bad. Got,
2: yeah, and we've just added one to the to the to the Darth Buggles uh, to the Buggles bunch. Allie, <laughs> are you
1: listening? Charles brought up Darth Buggles, not it,
0: I. He, it was me. Savor <laughs> well, it, Charles. The Knights well, of Bug. I will <laughs> savor this. I will savor this as much as Darth Buggles savers a decades-long master plan coming to fruition.
2: Yes.
1: The <laughs> Knights of <a> Bug. <laughs> I don't know how that counts. We, <laughs> we form
2: it one, one, one convert at <laughs> a time.
1: Oh shit! I laughed so hard my headphones fell out. Hold on. <laughs> okay, hi. I can hear you again. <laughs> what? I missed whatever was just said because my headphones fell out because I was laughing too hard. Woo! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, where are we going before Darth Bubbles do you realize? What were you saying? Oh, getting away from the storyline.
0: We were talking about getting away from the main, but also not being afraid to get like weird in some of its design.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, I mean Clone Wars used to get weird, but in a different sort of way. They would they would bounce off all sorts of different genres. But but Rebels was, you know, Rebels was the first Disney one and it was I don't want to say it was safe, but it was very, you know, it was very linear and it was very it was felt very Disney without being Disneyfied but star wars has always had a, a bit of disney to it anyway but yeah um like stuff like resistance they would you know there was an occasional novel that would just be sort of like an episodic weirdo thing like death troopers or something like that or and then there was like star wars tales that would have just little little stories that happened in the in the nooks and crannies with normal people and stuff but they were all just little you know, they weren't continuous running things like, like, uh, resistance. And, and I mean, I, I personally, I love world building. And once, and, and once you've built a world, if you've built a world that I like, I'll, I was just having this conversation with one of my, one of my old friends who just saw Dune and he, and it was a little slow for him. And I'm like, I, you know, I, it, it, I would sit and in, in, if like a movie could, if once a world is established, I'm ready to marinate in it. I'll watch, I'll, I'll hang out in like, you know, the, the, basically the, the, the version of a corner store on a normal day and watch the, watch the video cam, you know, the surveillance camera footage from it, you know, just to, just to see what it, you know what any aspect of it is so so I'm all down for that I don't I've never understood the need for there to be Jedi's and lightsabers Jedi's maybe but like you know like I mean up until Solo and Resistance there's just Star Wars was not Star Wars without a lightsaber in it I actually I don't think there were any lightsabers in the Ewok movies either but that's A whole other ball game.
0: I I need you to know, Chris, that inadvertently, and I don't know if you've done this, uh, but you just hit on two of the the major things (laughs) that I keep incessantly bringing up as things I want people to remember exists. So I need people to remember that uh, Ewoks two, the Battle for Endor, the best Star Wars movie exists. (laughs) And I keep swearing up and down to people that Death Troopers is a real book.
2: Yes, they I wrote it. I, I don't, it
0: exists.
2: I don't read like I'm, I, I read a lot. We it here first. I, Chris, I, I do read. read. I read, I read incessantly. <laughs> I read incessantly. I'm reading three books right now and I'm always like reading multiple books. I've never had and I can read all and I like reading all from non through nonfiction, all different kinds of fiction. I don't, if it's, if it's good, I have bad luck with the prose, with like star Wars, star Trek novels. There's very few of them. It's hard to get me to to read one because a lot of times I end up doing the thing that I hate doing more than anything in the world is abandoning a book. And I've abandoned so many, uh, like, you know franchise franchise books because there's so many like you have to be able to find the good authors and the and oh geez it's just it's too much work for me to try to keep to to keep up but death troopers i think i listened to the audio book of it because i just had to confirm that it actually existed and that it that it does that, it does. and it, I,
0: I didn't uh, fever dream it up uh, at yep. 18 years old, um, which yep. as, as a big horror fan, I kind of did think that I made that book up in my head for a while. And then other people were like, no, this is a real book that uh, they actually wrote and published. And it got a prequel. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they did this. Okay
2: yeah well you know hit that hit that zombie you gotta get that the uh, cash in on that zombie craze when it was but i was i was having a conversation i had a, co- a i'm co-worker. sorry i've
0: completely derailed this oh, no, i, I, I just had
2: the other day a conversation with a co-worker who i didn't know was a star wars fan he's like yeah, there's, did you know that Star Wars had books too? And I'm like, yes,
1: I, I <laughs> My co-podcaster <laughs> screams right? at me about them.
2: I read the, these Thrawn books and blah, blah, blah. And then I told them about Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which I think is a very, like, actually a really good Star Wars book. And uh, I I actually have to remember to dig out. I have, I have like three spare copies of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Uh, just hang it around here in case I have to lend them to somebody to read.
0: (laughs) Here's, here's my question is when can we get like a resistance novel or a novel, like a book with the characters in it? And also it's like, uh, they don't want to even deal with it. Del Rey. uh, I'm free. I'll do it. it. I have several pitches that I can, I can, Walk into
1: your office and give right now. No, right. I. As as a writer myself who has been toiling away at a High Republic prequel story, like yeah, I'm free. <laughs> Hire me.
2: Yeah, it's it's almost like they're tr- like, I don't know. I think Resistance came when they, they were like, yeah, we got the Star Wars property and we're going to experiment. And everybody's like, yeah, Star Wars experiment. And then they experimented and everybody goes, yeah, Star Wars, don't experiment. We hate it. And, and you know, I I mean, I think it was basically the big reaction was uh, The Last Jedi, you know, when, when that, that was too experimental for most people. And I think Disney got shy and Resistance was one of their, like, Let's try to do something different, and then they were just like immediately. Since you know, there's Lucasfilm, but then there's a corporate structure of Disney, and then they're, they're like, we, we, there's
1: a corporate structure of Lucasfilm too,
2: and Lucasfilm too. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So it's a double whammy, and uh, and so then yes, we and, I, they about went that safe, before. and and resistance is not is not associated with safe and there's a lot of people who are kind of like reacted poorly to it and it's one of those things we might have to like all i know is i've had really good luck over the years over the long term i'm 53 years old i've had a a very good luck with things that i've been like people should love this (laughs) people should recognize this as being awesome and then like 10 to 20 years later, it's rule of thumb that that like, um, the, the best example I can think of is John Carpenter. When I was a little kid, I'm biased towards John Carpenter cause he's from my hometown and he didn't live. I mean, like he didn't live in my hometown when time when I was aware of, it, he had already moved out by the time like Halloween came out, but he was a part of our town lore. You know, they were like Halloween was written because this woman was killed and, she crawled down and died on the the steps of the West Carthage library. And that was two doors down from John Carpenter's house and he saw her die. And that's what Halloween is based on, which is probably not true. But like, like all my life I've been like John Carpenter is, I don't just love his movies. He's a, you know, a legit great filmmaker of, of like, he should be in the, the, you know, just, people should just accept him as a great director, horror or not. And now that's sort of a rule of thumb. People, people really give John Carpenter the respect he's due 30 some years in, in the future, you know? And he, he, he'd always been just sort of like, yeah, this horror guy, you know, with a cult audience. And, and I, and I really think like down the line, you know i don't think we could have put this much energy into this show without it being you know a really good show you know
0: something sorry go ahead
2: yeah so i think i think we might have to wait like four or five years or something but i think you know down the line there might you know there might be a, a a strong enough fandom that 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 turns up over the years and people are like oh, maybe I'll give it a second chance I mean, and then like, it just sort of snowballs and you that's,
1: know I mean to kind of before to go back to what you were saying Charles but um, you know I, I think about that in two two ways because you know our friends Brian and Sarah over at uh, Friends of the Force They've done Remembering Resistance two years now to show that there is a love for the show where people across the fandom participate with why they love Resistance. I've written articles for them for and stuff like that. But I also, as you were talking, Chris, I kept thinking about Brian from Pink Milk. His youngest son, Resistance was his first Star Wars. Like, he just glommed on Resistance, and he's six or seven, I think, right now. Um, and I just yeah. imagine like him and, like, going five, back to
2: it as a teenager
1: oh yeah like five six years from now you know like where he that's his first star wars you know and like him wanting more of that um charles say what you were gonna say because i want to answer this question too yeah I don't. yeah
0: i i was gonna say something with star wars that i've noticed is that you do kind of have to let it marinate uh it's Oh yeah, as it's a prequel strange,
1: kid, I'm a prequel kid, I know. It it's to strange
0: <laughs> to describe it because it, it kind of yeah. is schlock, let's be fair, it is it is schlock. But you kind of have to let it marinate for a couple of years before you can really appreciate it. And a lot of the things we see where we're seeing a resurgence of love for them, like Clone Wars, I was, I was 18 when Clone Wars came out.
2: I was in college. I
0: remember the re- – or I was 17 or 18. I remember the reaction to Clone Wars. It oh. was not positive. No. I
1: was in college, and I remember after co- – like I, I fell in love with Clone Wars. It was what got me into the fandom. People on the show who listen know this about me. But when I was working in the comic book store, I was always constantly defending Clone Wars tooth and nail to – fanboys who were like oh it's not real star wars because it's not on the movie screens and now it's this beloved thing um season seven proved that it's a very beloved show and an important part of the canon and it was just it was so sad it was so satisfying this, to have Saul guerrera on screen to be like oh look my clone wars is on your fucking yeah, movie mean, screen now
2: this the, that's how clone wars is how it all began with like that with with hope and two true freaks is that first that we did a we met uh, at a Clone Wars. Scott panel. Gardner and I did. were on a panel uh, at 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 uh, Dragon Con about Clone Wars when it. I, I think I think it was just before the second season came out. It was like it was right very out.
1: early, yeah. And
2: uh, and uh, so we were, and I mean, we were loving it. You know, we were just like loving it. And there was a one of the writers was on the panel, and they had this other guy and another guy and everybody on the panel was generally like really like jazzed about it. And the audience, except for the little kid, the audience, the little kids all wanted to ask questions about the weaponry and, you know, why would this happen? You know, specific things about specific episodes and stuff. Where and was the every adult on would raise when... their hand and go like, isn't it awful that this isn't, doesn't line up to this and this and, like and and the whole panel would have to go like yeah actually we don't really care it's
0: <laughs> not about <laughs> that it's pretty
2: awesome uh, at the bottom level we're all pretty happy that we're getting star wars content that's really good every week every week we're watching like star wars stuff that we've never seen before that's very interesting and good on tv and the, the uh, And I mean, the, like, you could feel the people in the audience just wanting to light into it, just just dying to light into it. And it was crazy. It was crazy. And it, it's just like, you guys aren't even paying for this.
0: <laughs> you guys are just- there's Yeah, there's the sort of the final final thing that I was was building up to is hope I wanted to to piggyback off what you said about Brian from Pink Milk talking about this being his kids first Star Wars I you know we live in kind of the ecosystem online where we talk about Star Wars and it can be a toxic place a lot mm-hmm. of the time there's a lot of discussion it's not all very nice and it doesn't all seem like people love the Star Wars all the time but then you hear these stories about kids who are these young kids, yep. you know, six, seven, eight years old, and they don't care about yep. all the stuff that the fandom's getting hung up on. Yep. They don't. My- they walk at the sequels and they're like, they just, they love Rey because that's a character that they love and they love those movies. And Resistance, for me, I'm looking forward to having some of those kids get a little bit older. And be able to articulate what it is about the show that they watched and they liked.
1: My little nephew Zayden doesn't care if his name is Grogu or not. He just loves Baby Yoda, and his entire eight, room is Baby Yoda, Yoda room. Eight,
0: year,
2: eight years old is like the magic star That was that was that that was how old I was when I saw Star Wars, and it was yeah. And you know, like my memories of Star Wars are not of people griping about it or anything as a matter of fact it was like everybody like everybody loves Star Wars you know and that's that's a lot of people's memories of 1977 but you know in the intervening years I've gotten lots of like collected lots of magazines and stuff that I wouldn't have read as a kid and reading reviews of them and there were toxic star Wars fans in 1977 before they, they were just like, or, you know, they weren't even toxic star Wars fans cause they hate it. But there were plenty of people who were like, this is just garbage. You know, this is not real. So, you know, this is a, an insult to science fiction. And
1: they were all written by Alex Guinness. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: And I mean, we would never, and, and, and let's never forget that we would never have our toxic star Wars, um, fandom if, if the toxic star trek fans had not paved the way for the toxic star wars fans
0: (laughs) truly trailblazers all Uh, it's
1: always
2: been there but now we got now the internet puts it right in your face and it's just and and allows you to answer to it like reply to it in the Right. You know, you don't, you can't, you know, in the old days, if someone wrote a mean letter to star about star Wars, I'd have to write, I'd have to write a letter and get a stamp and stuff like that. Now I can just kill him.
0: Hope I feel so bad because I I feel like I'm encouraging Chris's worst tangent impulses. And I know you also really want to answer this question.
1: (laughs) So, uh, To answer for me, like, how has Resistance impacted the franchise as a whole and pushed the boundaries of Star Wars? Hear me out. Resistance had to walk so Bad Batch, Mandalorian, and future Star Wars TV could run. Hear me out. Um, It all goes back to the whole thing of, like, it doesn't have to change canon. It's just character stories of characters witnessing the world around them. Because as of this point, Mandalorian hasn't done anything to change the direction of overall canon. So far, one season into Bad Batch, it hasn't done that. It's just been about characters reacting to the world shifting around them or their situations. And resistance was kind of the, the start of that. It was the first show to really do that because Clone Wars and Rebels were both made to change canon. Clone Wars was made to fill in the gaps of like how we got from episode two to three, and then Rebels was made to like show the beginnings of the rebellion, getting big players out of the way, what was going on behind the scenes. It was made. Both shows were made to do that but resistance was really the first of its kind to function completely different from everything that we had seen before it didn't function it, it didn't function like a movie it didn't function like the two previous tv shows and while i do think bad batch and mandalorian are both incredibly far safer than resistance is it both of them uses a lot of the same tropes that Resistance started. You know, I I talked about Jennifer Corbett before. She's the head show writer of Bad Batch. She got her start on Resistance. She never worked on Clone Wars. She never worked on Rebels. She worked on Resistance, and that was her first Star Wars. And to me, it's very apparent. A lot of Bad Batch really reminds me and functions the same way that Resistance functions. And it kind of has to do that. If every show works to try and change canon... Then canon's gonna become a fucking mess when we get into stuff like Obi Wan or I'm, I think the acolyte could change ca- canon, so that's not the best example. But something like Obi Wan or the Lando series, like those are probably not going. You might we might get cool little Easter eggs here and there, and maybe like right, little right. things, but no, it
2: things doesn't tie things together. Or yeah, or but it's not
1: gonna function in that way. I, I think Ahsoka right. might. I, I as much as I hate it, I'm pretty sure that Ahsoka is gonna be the search for Ezra, and I fucking hate that about that show because I think that show should stay in that. That story should stay in animation, but that's just me. Um, but I, I don't think we would have that batch and Mandalorian doing what they're doing with if resistance didn't come first and lay the groundwork for future Star Wars television.
2: Well, off that I got a question for you then. Yeah, hit me. Uh, um okay, so maybe it didn't it <laughs> I, I don't want to say it didn't work for resistance. It didn't work insofar as resistance wasn't a huge hit. But the, did sink into the 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 genetics of the shows that came after it? Do you think you know? Because obviously, it's like once like a lot of those elements in the Mandalorian, I think, are a key to what made the Mandalorian so popular. And sort of got the franchise out of a lot of the trouble that they probably felt that they, that they were in, you know, popularity wise. Do you think this is could possibly start bleeding into the the movies going forward um, when they start making movies again?
1: You know, I, as, as I was talking, I was kind of thinking about Solo and Rogue One because they're kind of similar to Mandalorian and oh, not Mandalorian. Uh, sorry, to Resistance in that way, too. Um. Rogue One, not as much, because it does impact again the canon, because it's how the Death Star plans get saved. Right. But look right. at something like Solo. Solo is a lot like Resistance. It's a little pocket story that doesn't really change anything. If anything, it just brings like like shows like what Maul's been fucking around and doing it off to the side. Yeah. But it doesn't really change anything. It's just a pocket story no, well, about a character.
2: Well, it's tied into a main character who has a storyline and stuff. It doesn't
1: change the story of Star Wars. No, and no, it doesn't.
2: No, it doesn't. But I mean, it, it sort of binds it to that main story because he's a main character. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, you know, any of the main characters from Star Wars that show up in Resistance are just sort of, they're they're, they're as side characters.
1: I think Rogue Squadron would be a really good litmus test because if Rogue yeah. Squadron is all new characters... Um, that is just sort of there and just in their own pocket of the galaxy just doing their own thing. Um, I think it could be a real test, but I think the is real it based difference-
2: on the video game at all,
1: I don't know to be honest with if you. If it
2: is, and it'll have what's his it's, name, in it It's Wed the thing
1: it. I'm least excited for coming up of all the stuff. So I. Well, um, you know well, what I'm that pitch. means.
2: It'll probably be the best because those are always the ones that I the. And, I know. And right? I know what you mean. I don't. I have no feelings towards Rogue, Rogue Squadron at all. But like. You watch, that's always how it works, is that'll be the one that like just it's, gets you by it's like Road ex- Squadron's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Lowest
1: expectations of all. Right, but like yes. I, I think the real the biggest difference between resistance and Mandalorian though is the stigma of animation. Um and it's still to this st- day, like we're all adults talking about animation because we love it, but there is still very much a stigma that animation is for kids. I heard it all the time when I was working in the in in the comic book store when people were just like, "Oh, that's the kids' show, isn't it?" Like talking about Clone Wars, which is a very dark and sometimes like, go and goes into horrific places. Um, and I think there is a stigma, and I think that's why Mandalorian did so well was because it was live action. It's so it still there. Possible. It's going
2: away though. I got. I mean, like. Uh, like,
1: but not but not fully because even the, the like one of my favorite shows the owl house is ending with three seasons and the reason is is because uh it missed its target demographic because their target demographic was kids and teenagers and adults were watching it so disney yeah. fucking canceled it which doesn't make sense because adults have money um but I like was, so i was
2: listening to, to, to five black adults from from 30s to 50s talking about Goku yesterday.
1: <laughs> no, that, that's <laughs> actually a very, a very important point because the stigma around animation is changing, and a lot of that is the influx of anime. And anime has definitely changed people's perception of how animation can function. That there is still a difference between, like, Eastern uh, animation with anime and Animation that's created on, like, say, like the Disney Channel. So you might have these very queer stories being told in something like Owl House, which is pretty much the essential of like kids' goosebumps, but with fascism and gays on Disney Channel. But because, because
2: with fascism and gays.
0: Yeah. I I have been told that there are gays in Owl House. I it's am sad, I yeah. am uh, just now finding <laughs> out about the fascism. I'm about eight episodes into it, so Take- I'm.
1: Yeah, very
0: far.
1: There's there's a tyrannical leader that is you know building a system that is suppressing anyone who's different because it doesn't fit into his worldview, and if you don't follow, you get killed. Um, Yes, very much so. But uh, but on Disney Channel, yay. Um, But I I do think there is still a long way to go because anime is so drastically different and is more seen and viewed for like teenagers to adults where. Animation says like something like resistance is more targeted to kids. So it is still missing a uh, the adult demographic that we love it because we can see it and we can see the deeper themes. And I think that's really the biggest difference between Mando and Resistance. Cause even though resistance laid down the groundwork yeah. for Mando to exist, it's still the live action. Live action is well, always going to take precedence because it's the yeah. closest to the movies. I've
2: I've noticed a lot of people like when The Mandalorian came out, like I, you know, I'm always, and I have friends who are Star Wars fans, but they, they won't watch the animated stuff. Yeah. But then, the, then the Mandalorian came out and they're like, and, and the line between the Mandalorian and the, and, and say Clone Wars is so thin, even visually, you know what I mean?
1: Even it's, Rebels, like and, Mandalorian and, screams Rebels a yes, lot. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And I mean it's it's so th- it's 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 made by the same people in a lot of ways the in a lot of ways you know like in clone wars and and with with a lot of these shows the 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 hardware and the the planets and the backgrounds and stuff are just like just one shade from being is is you know as photo i mean in the movies the movies are pretty much animated movies for for the most part you know at this point so it's it's just this weird psychological thing with people that yeah it's 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 i remember
0: i remember that was one of my big hang-ups when i was a, a shitty toxic fan at 18 years old uh, before I had actual character development. I remember that was one of my hangups for the Clone Wars movie, was that I went to it, I was like, because I went to it, and I remember sitting in the theater, and I had this very toxic idea of what Star Wars was at the time, because I had been immersed in, like, the Dark Horse comics and the novels, and they had painted a picture of the Clone Wars that was very grittier, Yes. and so I went, and they played the "It's for Kids" trailer at the front of the movie, the particular theater that I was in. I was, I remember sitting there with my friends and going, "Oh my god, oh my god, this is not going to be anything like like what I'm expecting, is it?" And that's something that I look back on and cringe that I thought that because, yeah, animation. Is not just for kids, and something too, Avatar: The Last Airbender, which I know that you guys did. Did you guys just start watching on Hope Makes Us yes. Watch Cartoons? Yes, yeah, and,
1: yeah, we're a couple episodes in. Hope is very behind on editing; he's been fighting to catch up. So one thing <laughs>
0: we... Avatar did in the popular culture that opened a lot of doors is it demonstrated that something can be for kids but can address things in a way that respects the entire audience that's watching it and understands that you can get something out of that show as a kid or as an adult watching it. You're going to have two different experiences, but they're equally valid experiences. And those experiences are equally kept in mind and something star Wars as a franchise overall this is one of its huge successes, which is yes. why I watched the first, my first Star Wars movie when I was six years old. Very happy about that because now I can meme that Rogue One line to death. But I'm still talking about it 24 years later. I
2: wouldn't have seen Star Wars so many times as a kid if my parents didn't like it. You know what I mean? That's why I and- saw it. My, mo- my up, mom named her Cat Yoda and my dad named Dog Luke. <laughs> so I
0: grew up in a household where we weren't allowed to watch a lot of a, we call it electronic entertainment. Uh, and I'm not going to get into that whole story because there's a lot of caveats that we don't really have time to explain, but my father was a big fan of the Star Wars movies. And so one of the few things that my brother and I were allowed to watch as much as we want were the Star Wars movies. And that's because the entire family could watch it together. Uh And it's something that I feel like, especially when in the online discourse space gets lost, but it's something that it's in the essence of why the series resonates with so many people, because it doesn't matter what your age is. You can look at something like clone wars, rebels, even resistance, Bradley, (laughs) And see something that's fun for kids, respects kids, and is also fun for adults and respects the adults as well. I think that's something it's a, that's built in.
1: I think it's something important to remember that Star Wars is for everyone, but we don't have yes. to like all Star Wars.
2: Well, Star Wars right. is like, it's like mythological. So it's basically, it's, it's, it's attached to, you know, oral storytelling and like, it would be like Star Wars. I, 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 well, I can't remember. There was a dragon movie where, you know, where the drag where a post-apocalyptic movie where there were dragons and the people were all, were all, it was in Britain and they were all, you know, they all had to hide oh, their houses I and know they what were, you're they were like about. putting on a play of Star Wars for the, for the whole village, you know? And and that's it's this is the stories that you know you would sit down and tell the whole village, which would have kids and kids to old people. So it had to it had to have something for everybody, you know.
0: This is why I don't get too bothered by like on Gold Squadron Gaze, I'm I'm the trivia guy. I'll get into, you know, here's this specific detail, here's this specific detail. It doesn't really bother me too much because I'm fond of saying that Star Wars is a mythology, not a history. And I yes. think part of the reason it yes. resonates is because it is a modern mythology. I love the, I love to treat it like a history sometimes because I'm a huge history buff. We established this at the top of the show.
2: You can do both, but you can
0: do both. You can yeah. look at it. and You could say what's important is the stories that are being told and resistance for all its cartoony art style, for all its, you know, wacky characters and hijinks for all of its, goofy, colorful, uh, whole aesthetic that it's got going. Resistance is telling a very strong story about what it's like to be a human person living in a community, struggling against outside oppressive forces, trying to hold on to what matters to you and fight to defend it against a galaxy that is chaotic and you have no control over
2: well yeah it's also happening at a time when that's sort of happening (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's elements or or you know or kids are going to catch wind of stuff like that on the news and stuff like that and resistance presents it in a way that isn't terrifying you know
1: yeah good movie i have to pill a cat soon so i gotta wrap this up um, and also, you have a post-podcast a episode, Chris. Um, so, to wrap this up... Um, oh, shit, I do. Yeah, it's almost 30. you got to post a podcast episode in half an hour. Uh, <laughs> so, to wrap this all up, um, to get a little personal, what does Star Wars Resistance as a show mean to us? So, I'm going to start with our lovely guest, Charles. What does the show mean to you?
0: I mean, I, I think I've just spent the last two hours of recording time, I I don't want to rehash. But to me, Star Wars Resistance is something that I will defend fiercely because it's a show that explores themes that are very personal to me. And they're themes that I don't see explored as, I don't want to say effectively, well, I will say effectively as effectively elsewhere in the franchise. I think Resistance is one of the bravest Star Wars properties, certainly maybe even the bravest of the new canon before The High Republic started coming out, in terms of just the way it w- it gets away from sort of the mainline story. Uh, I think the themes in Resistance... I say Star Wars is a reflection of the time in which it's being made. That's part of what's so interesting about it. And Resistance really was a reflection to a degree of what we were seeing around when it was coming out, uh, intentionally or not. And it's something that I could turn to during that time. And it's something that I look at now as something that's very important to me. So to me, it's it's that sense of community. It's a sense of exploring the characters. It's a sense of exploring uh, how does one deal with the creeping, looming threat of fascism. Uh, And also, it is full of several very attractive men, which, as we know, is the easiest way to get me to love a show. (laughs) Oscar Isaac is here, so...
1: (laughs) Oscar Isaac is here still loving Star Wars before he hates it. (laughs) So... (laughs) um what about you Chris what does resistance mean to you
2: um I agree that it's like it's of their experimental bent I think um um well you know me it took it it took me it's funny because when we first watched it before we did the show I was like you were like "Ah, I'm not feeling it and I'm like oh don't worry it gets better because I didn't really like it the first couple episodes it's not that i didn't like it but i was like yeah i don't know if i'm gonna like this cat it, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah and uh but then once i got into it i got into it and i think actually the biggest thing was like the first couple episodes the, the there was some of the some of the quirks of the animation that weren't ironed out that i was like oh, i don't know if i'm gonna like this going forward but then it completely got ironed out and became one of the most beautiful um animated Star Wars as a whole. As a, it's, it, it's look is unique and the way the way they do the animation is unique in it. And but it's not gimmicky. And it's and I I think this is gonna be a sleeper. I think in the future you're gonna see a lot of when they talk about the, the beginning of the Disney era of star wars you're going to see a lot of focus on the last jedi and resistance for for good reasons of 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 things that were just sort of reactively like you know had a strong negative reaction to them but at the same time i think a lot of that has to do with both of them are sort of tied into the the times too into the context of the times we're living in and i think both of them very very slyly were commenting on a lot of things that were uncomfortable and uh made made them lightning rods but in the in years from now all the things that get people peeing their pants now Just, you know, they go out of fashion after a few months and there's other things that people. So in the course of years, when people start having a little distance on on this stuff, I think resistance and like The Last Jedi are going to be. There's going to be a lot of analysis and and uh, re you know, people really rethinking what how they thought about those movies and and shows and I and and Re- resistance especially is you know it's going to start with the last Jedi because that was a movie so uh, everybody saw it but then it's the the ideas of that are going to lead into resistance and I think resistance will eventually get its due.
1: Um, for me and I don't think I've actually mentioned it so far on on this episode um resistance is a lot of fun it's just a fun yeah. show it's it's like we said on the surface it's bright it's happy i laugh it's it's a show that makes me laugh so much it has so many great one liners it's just it's a pure just bright happy show but it's also an important show because on its surface it's bright pure and happy but when you actually think about what's happening it's really pushing a lot of boundaries and really talking a lot about very important topics and i would rather have a show push and try new things than be safe and boring Bad match and mandalorian um and i think the fact that it pushed so many boundaries to the and it doesn't care it doesn't care if you hate it. Resistance is going to just do your do its thing whether or not you like it. And it's not trying to appeal to a broad general audience like other shows. Bad Batch, and Mandalorian. Um, it's, it's going to do its own thing. It's a very niche show. And it knows what it's going to do its thing whether or not you like it. And that's something that is very ballsy. And I'd rather have something swing for the fences every single episode than be really safe and boring. And Resistance has had, Resistance had so much more character development in a handful of episodes with its community of people than Bad Batch has had an entire first season. Yeah, I said it.
2: Um, Just to add to that, I think in the future, to save a little effort on your own part, instead of saying Bad Batch Mandalorian, you should just say Bachelorian.
1: Bachelorian, Hell yeah!
2: We'll we'll just use Bachelorian as the shorthand for...
1: Yeah. So, um, a little bit of house cleaning, so you know what we're doing. Um, we are reaching the end of the year, but Chris and I are very, very, very excited that for our next three episodes of J-Guys and Jedi, we're going to be covering Star Wars Visions. Um, we're going to be doing uh-huh. three, because it's nine episodes long, so we're going to do three episodes each. So, hope to bring this up before Star Wars Visions. Give us, this is what editing is for you guys. It's fine. It's fine. We're doing good. It's great. Yeah, we fun. So,
2: three episodes each right
1: right so next week we will be starting our Star Wars Visions coverage and we'll be talking about the dual tattooing Rhapsody my favorite and the twins Um, so yeah uh, thank you so much Charles for being on the show yeah yes
0: thank you thank you for inviting me please say hello to Yoda (gasps) Uh, oh
1: you you wanted to specifically talk to Yoda hey Yoda come here
0: what Mm.
1: oh oh there he is there oh. he is! Hey buddy! Yoda
2: does not have his spectacles on, is it, Mom? A guest? Somebody no. set off guest alarm.
0: That's okay, Yoda. I'm prettier with uh, your glasses off anyway. Uh, Trust me on that. Um sit on your lap? Oh, sure, but you're you have to find your breakfast. You don't know you are having Oh no!
1: Hello.
0: Hello! Very few let Yoda sit on their lap. Yes, well, I'm used to people like Yoda. Trust me.
1: Oh, I'm so
0: I sorry can, for you. I can, I, hey, what's Ever a little fun between midichlorians? friends? Midichlorians, have you heard of? I have. You know, but why don't you tell me all about them, just in you case
2: know, you... Yoda knows, Yoda knows where, where one can get midichlorians.
0: Oh, where's that? Yoda, is it at the bar? Because I'm still waiting on that drink. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe Yoda has a bar back in Yoda's little hovel.
1: Mm -hmm. I I didn't give you your spray bottle. Here, take it! (laughs) Oh,
0: oh, I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm good. Spray, not Yoda. Oh, no, we'll be good. I don't know. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe, Yoda, maybe I'll have to drop by later and and see this bar of yours. Good Good.
2: guess. Mmm, tell other guests no spray Yoda. Yes. Hmm, This show's looking up.
1: Uh, I feel like I, I have. You don't know what you're asking. He is 800 years old of slime and senile. I just. I have to come, come here, Yoda. Mm, Threaten
2: I'm, him with a good time, do not you?
0: I've been in bars in downtown Atlanta. Trust me, I've seen older.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Yoda. Let's get out of here before Watcher well, also likes us. <laughs> Well, Nice
0: to meet you, Yoda.
1: Catch you next
0: time. Uh, We'll text. Oh, yeah. Let me slip you my digits after the show.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, Charles, again, thank you for being on. Where can people find you?
0: That is an excellent question. So, as I've mentioned several (laughs) times, as I'm contractually obligated to, I am the co-host of the show Gold Squadron Gaze which I co-host with my associate, Bradley.
2: Now is Bradley going to have to listen to a whole resistance show just to audit it, to make sure that that, that you got your, your plugs in through the uh, whole show? You see,
0: you see, Chris, that was my cunning plan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sneaky. Uh, you can find the Gold Squadron Gaze show on the. Well, you can find it wherever your podcatcher is. Uh, we're on basically all the major platforms. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at, at Gold Squad Gaze. You can hit us up on Instagram and TikTok at, at Gold Squadron Gaze. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. And as far as me personally, if you want to shout at me about things besides Star Wars, like history or tolkien or any of the other millions of things i scream about on the daily you can find we, me on twitter we are,
1: cons- we are constantly each other's dms going oh my god high republic oh my god high republic <laughs> if you want to yes. scream at me about the
0: high republic personally you can find me on twitter and instagram at cw rogers six and that's where you can find me
1: what about you chris where can people find you
2: You can find me at the Two True Freaks podcast website, which is coincidentally twotruefreaks.com. And there you'll find all of our podcasts, all of them just sitting there waiting, waiting for you. And uh, you can sign up for our RSS feeds there, or you can do it on, say, like Apple Podcasts You can also check up on us on Facebook. We got the two true freaks podcast page where we post up everything of all our podcasters whenever they put up a new show. And we have the two true freaks cantina, which is where you can just sort of casually hang out with the crew. Oh God, that sounds terrible. It sounds like a morning radio show or something. (laughs) Hang out with the crew. (laughs) I'm booger. And uh, let's see. Oh God. Yeah, if I know a lot of you do this, and I don't know why you do it, but you go on Twitter, and if you want to go on Twitter, you can look for Two True Freaks, and you'll find a Two True Freaks page that gives you all our podcasts, too, on Twitter, and that is run by the incredible Gene Gene, the dancing machine.
1: Hope's currently on Twitter, checking on the Braze game, Gene! <laughs> <laughs>
2: And that's where they can find me. Where can they find you, Hope?
1: You can find us at JGuys and Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also follow me at Hope Molinax. I'm also a writer for the Geeky Waffle, um, and I'm currently doing weekly amphibia reviews. And I've also been on Space Waffles a few times. I very recently was on with my friend Arzu, and we were talking about the Masters and Padawans of the High Republic. Um, that is definitely out by now, so you can go check that out over at Space Waffles, part of the Geeky Waffle Network. And Chris and I have another podcast called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons where Hope is slowly but surely getting caught up with editing and we are definitely now finishing (laughs) up Gravity Falls because I'm editing the very last episode of Gravity Falls so that should be out soon. Hope's life has been fucking crazy. Don't blame Hope. Hope has been crazy and has had a very big life change since July and has had to readjust her entire life. Don't judge me. I
2: I (laughs) think about 80-85% to of the world can actually identify with that at this point.
1: I was doing really well until i had a big massive fucking life change and i've had to adjust my life ever since and it's been hard and having and also you know writing for the geeky waffle is as a real as you know a job you know it's it's my job now so i had to readjust you know writing articles and stuff so hope don't blame hope she tries All right. Well, Charles, thank you so much for being on the show. It it was just such a joy to have you and you've been so great sharing our stuff and being here and being so supportive. So I'm so glad that we were able to have you on for our final episode of resistance. Thank
0: you for having me on. It's, it's a big honor to be trusted with an important one, like the recap. So it was, it was a delight to be here. I loved talking to you guys. Uh, I think my cat's going to get mad at me if I if I don't spend more time with him this evening.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: I have to go I, shove my, a, a pill down my cat's throat, so it's fine. My
2: cat's reminded me of, uh, that it's being neglected like three times already.
0: Cats, yeah. what are you going to do? It's a, sign of it? good,
2: it's a good podcast. It was a three-catter, was, um, <laughs> a three-Bernice, three. A, three, a triple Bernice.
1: Triple pussy. Ha!
2: <laughs> 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 well, there's our out for the show. There's our out.
1: Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. See you next week
2: for visions.
0: Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T W O T R U E. F-R-E-A-K-S.
2: You can email Two True Freaks directly at 2 truefreaksgmailcom at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available
0: on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from,
2: there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end
0: Mmm. Ah. <laughs>